Welcome to the Redemption's Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. It's good to be here uh, with you. We're in our second message over the, the book of 1 John this week, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there uh, here at the very uh, beginning of this message. Uh, don't plan to slow play this hand or or hold things tightly to my, my chest. My hope from the very beginning to, to share with you is that God would give us together the gift of repentance today. Clear drive and clear hope. There, there are weeks that I've hoped for many things for us as a church. I've, I've hoped for a good service, whatever that means. And, and I've hoped uh, for worship where uh, God feels near. I, I have hoped Honestly, if, if, I, if I would really be transparent with you, there's some weeks, especially in COVID and even before, I, I just hope that people would show up. Uh, and yet those things aren't what we truly or ultimately need. We need, we cor- corporately, not, not you, we need the gift of repentance. So in the same vein as last week, I just ask you ahead of time, is there room for that? Uh, would you be okay if God did not let you leave this place or this moment in the same way that you walked into it? Uh, because that's what I've been praying for, uh, and that's what I hope happens today. If you give me some time, I'll try and unpack the why of that and why that's uh, good news and, and why that's not a bummer or a bad deal. The, the gift of repentance is actually life-giving for us. But to get there, we'll take a bird's-eye view of kind of what happened last week just to keep our bearing. Sermon uh, 1 we kind of had this as the, the, the big idea. The truth took on flesh and came down from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ so that we can have fellowship with God, Jesus, and each other, which is other believers. This is what the Bible calls eternal life. The, the entire point uh, was that truth or the way to, to life wasn't some new idea, uh, and it also wasn't a personalized idea out of what you want or you desire or how you perceive things to be. Truth is, the way to life is Jesus, and following him will lead us on a path that unites us in fellowship with his Father, God, with him, and then the, the really beautiful part is it also leads us down a path that renews fellowship with each other relationally, other believers. And this fellowship, this relationship between us and the Father and the Son uh, together is, is really the place where the Bible says joy and human flourishing come together. Uh, this is where our ultimate joy comes from. So here's the, the big idea is truth leads to fellowship, which leads to joy. The truth leads to our fellowship, which is eternal life, which leads us to the place where we find joy. Then sermon two today, again, not holding uh, the, the cards close to the, to the chest, just, just throwing out there. The point today is sin will break down and destroy the fellowship that you and I were made for. That's the entire point. Uh, no matter how you try and justify your sin, rationalize it, uh, deny it, walk around it, it will destroy fellowship. So be careful not to be see- deceived about sin. Instead, the call from this text is to, to, to come out and to walk in the light of God. We can't miss seeing the forest through the trees. John has a really simple message. The truth came down to give you fellowship. Fellowship is where you find joy, but sin is real, and it will steal your joy by crushing your fellowship. Be aware and walk in the light. If that is true, then maybe we can see together why the gift of repentance is a good thing. 
Because repentance is not the hammer. It's not getting destroyed by someone. Repentance is uh, turning from sin and back into fellowship with with God, Christ, and each other, which means uh, sin and repentance, may, though it may have a negative connotation in our, our minds, is actually a restorer of your joy. Do you believe that? Repentance defends your joy. Repentance doesn't rob you. It actually protects you from robbing yourself by walking out into the darkness of your flesh. I created a little word density chart. The, the, uh, the pixelation of it won't be very great, but there's just words from this text in a density viewer. If you are a, a, a visual learner, what is the most highlighted, bolded word on there? It is sin. This word in the original language, hamartia, is used nine times in the text that we're going to read through today. If the author says sin nine times, do you, do you think he wants you to pay attention to it. Uh, We cannot avoid the concept or topic of sin through this text. We have to deal with it. We have to wrestle with it. And John wants us to, to, to look it in the face and deal with it. Now, the idea of talking about and navigating the concept of sin, it can tend to make us nervous. In chapter two, uh, verse one, part of the text that we're going to go through today, John says this, I'm writing you these things so that you will not sin. He's very clear. He's already said before, he's writing so that our joy may be complete. And here, he hasn't switched motives because we can tend to go like, hey, I thought you were writing about our joy. No, he still is. He's adding to that purpose by saying, don't sin. Why? Because sin will destroy your joy by taking your fellowship. These things go together. I'm writing this so that you won't sin is still a, a statement intact with, I'm writing you this for your joy. If we are not careful or we get into an unhealthy spot spiritually in a moment, which we all can get there, we can think that a fellow believer bringing up our sin, even when they do it lovingly and kindly and and, and with truth and love balanced well, we can tend to think that a person doing that is just trying to make us feel bad that they're trying to win an argument, that they're trying to dominate us, or that they're trying to get something from us or steal something from us. But John, uh, in here, that isn't the motive from him. He is clear. He's calling you not to sin. So he isn't indifferent at all about your sin, but he's doing it as an act of love. Why? Because I I don't want you to be robbed of all your joy. As I thought about this this week, John's focus convicted me deeply. Because when I've talked to people about sin lately, when I think of it largely in, in probably the last six months, maybe even more, Here's, here's what, I, what I found myself doing. I find myself not always stating my intent very clearly. Right? Going to another brother and, and, and almost speaking in code and saying uh, things like dancing around the topic and talking in generalities. And here, let me just give you the facts of the situation. And then just being like, hey, I'm just going to leave the decision to you as, as if I don't really care. As if... I'm indifferent to the outcome instead of fighting for their joy by saying, I love you so much, you need to run away from that. John balances this well. I'm writing you this for your joy, and I'm writing you this so you don't sin. I I wonder if you resonate with that, how we we get so afraid of of conflict that we just don't lovingly say, hey, brother or sister, I'm worried about you there. That one got me already. 1 John chapter 1 
verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 6. So we only did four verses the first time, and then we're taking a much larger swath this time. But, but here is the word. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Again, there's the intent. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. He does not beat around the bush there. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he Walked. Again, the call to be a Christian is a call to follow Christ. This is what John is saying. Now, this thread of truth will flow through the entire book. The truth has come down. He's, he's going to keep saying that. He carries that right into the second section that we're in today, into this message. And he boils down the truth going, hey, this is just a, a basic way to think about it. And he synthesizes it down to say this. Here is the truth that we must understand. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Mind you, he is doing it in, in a way that speaks into their situation and ours as he weaves truth in here. If you remember from last week, there was a group called the, the Gnostics, and they were proclaiming that they had a new special revelation. They got this, this special thing, and all of a sudden they, they, they got it, and they're living out of this new better truth, which they considered the revelation that they got over their lives to be. And, and because of this new personal truth that they have, uh, they they're just saying, hey, I'm going to do what I want because I, I understand things differently. Now, in their culture, for someone to say, I know ultimate truth, another person will return, like, who do you think you are? How do you think you are able to come up with ultimate truth? So what did they try and do here? They tried to, to bolster the validity of their personal truth by saying that humanity had a divine light inside of their soul innately, and that's where that new knowledge came from. Because of that inner light that we had innately in us, our purpose as humanity was to live out of that inner light, that new information that we have. 
So to make sure we're understanding what's happening, light has always been in Christianity and in other beliefs, uh, a metaphor for wisdom and knowledge and good and holiness and purity and righteousness. That's what light means. So the Gnostics, were, were there, they were claiming by saying we all have this inner light in us, they're claiming that they already had inside of them all the wisdom and knowledge and good and holiness and purity that they already needed. They're like, no, the light's in me. And John is speaking into that specifically by saying kind of in, I, I imagine if you're an office, face, uh, office space fan, I, I, I imagine it in a very Dwight Schrute tone, right? The light's in me and I've got the good in me and John's false. That is a hundred percent incorrect. God is the light and not you. This is how he's responding. I have this inner light. I'm going to live out of it. And John's going, no, God is light. We have to be careful with terms. God isn't a source of light as if there are many possible conduits or places that you can get this majestic wisdom and purity and righteousness from. God is and owns all the light that there is. So without them, there can be no light. And in us, on our own, we can have no light either without him. John goes further by saying, and in God, there is no darkness. We are, as some have put it, a bundle of paradoxes. We can be kind and we can be really, really rude. Uh, we can be generous and we can be extremely selfish. We can be passionate and we can be indifferent, but God doesn't share this kind of duality that we do in that he isn't a little light and a little darkness. He doesn't have a good side and a bad side. He is all light, all good, and darkness never has and never will have anything to do with him or connect with him or be a part of his character. There's no bad day that he has that he slipped into just a little darkness. Now, much of the rest of the text will come as John is looking to teach us but he's going to do it partly by refuting popular Gnostic beliefs or teachings. So some, some popular things that were, they were making a, their way around the culture, what John is doing is he's speaking into those things specifically. You'll see the first thing that he is refuting when he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There are a couple of concepts that, that we have to digest here or else we won't understand this. Uh, mainly fellowship and walk. We talked about fellowship in, in a lot of the message last week. Fellowship is this communion, this relationship that's living and active and felt between us and God and other believers. It's not metaphorical. It's a real union and communion and relationship. But when the Bible says walk, though, they mean a, a, a habitual way of life. Right? To say they walk like this, it's not a, a one-time thing or an accident or an outlier. It is their way of life. This means John is speaking out about a person who claims to be close with God in relationship with God, in relationship and in close fellowship with him, but still maintains a pattern of, of sin or a lifestyle sin or an attitude of sin. So if they're claiming, no, I'm in relationship and fellowship with God and I'm doing all this because that's the way that I walk and that's the way that I want to live. John says, no, they're liars. You can't do both of those. Again, this is walk. This is a lifestyle. This, is, this was how I'm going to live. I don't care what God says. John says even further, the truth 
of God isn't in them. There was a group of people who believed and taught essentially they could do whatever they wanted, including disobey God, and that wouldn't affect their relational communion or fellowship with God. John just lovingly wants to know, and he's not angry. Remember, he writes later, little children, I'm writing you this so you don't sin. Saying it's simply not true. You cannot do both of those things. If God is light, again, remember, and there is no darkness in him or impurity or defilement, then he cannot connect with or be in reunion with or relationship with those who walk. They make their way of life a pattern of darkness because why? It would make him one who walks in darkness with them. It would mean that the holy God violates his character to connect with you and I while we walk in darkness. And it would make him a liar, indifferent to sin, and complicit in sin. If he just walked in it and ignored it. No matter if we put fancy labels like, well, God is love, that's why. This is why John says anybody who does that is a liar. God's not the liar they are. You cannot walk in darkness and sin and believe that it does not affect your relationship with God. Each generation seems to package this in a different way, but whenever anyone pretends that uh, habitual unrepentant sin is something that God is fine with, uh, we we're wanting to know, or John's telling us, they're lying to you and to themselves. This reality that he spoke to back then, though, I hope we understand that's just as dangerous to us today as it was back then. Our culture has tried to reinvent right and wrong to God. They've tried to mute him and speak for him into what darkness and what light is. But our inner feelings or our desires or our wants or our perceived view of culture never changes the decrees of God. This goes for any number of things. It goes for our anger our drunkenness, our sex, our envy, our pride, and every other form of darkness that the Bible calls darkness. We cannot walk in what God says is sin with him and everything be fine. John says then, but if we walk in the light with God, connecting with him while obeying his truth and clinging to his light as we go along, then we have fellowship with one another and Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin. John is saying that to walk in relationship with God and obedience to him will literally affect your relational fellowship with other believers, which is to say darkness not only keeps you from God, it also is destructive to your relationship with other believers as well. While walking with God, on the other hand, is restorative to your relationships. Friends, I I think we can feel this, though. Sin destroys the way that we relate to other believers. When we try and walk in in a pattern of sin and in a community of light, it does not go well. We'll start doing things, like we'll start hiding in lying and deflecting and pretending and blaming and resenting other people, not to mention we'll probably have other things come out, like we'll start becoming extremely selfish and legalistic about things that we are doing right and self-protecting as we go. Again, I don't want to imagine that there are any of us who can't resonate with a time where you begin to kind of step into sin, even if it was momentary, And that negatively affected, for a time, your relationship with other people in the church. 
Maybe right now you, you sit here in a moment of real relational tension between you and another person in the body of Christ because of your sin. John was telling us this would happen, and he's saying, don't ignore it. Walk into the light. Come deal with it. Sin breaks down. We know that. The cool other side of what John's saying is here and here is if we walk in the light in obedience to God and stop hiding or trying to to keep hidden our sin, it not only strengthens and rebuilds our fellowship with others, it also cleanses us from all sin, meaning there is nothing that Jesus can't handle or forgive or redeem when we bring it out into the light and follow him. There's nothing that's too far gone, and there's this sanctifying property where we walk with others and don't hide. John says it this way, Jesus is faithful to forgive us and help cleanse us when we confess and stop stop hiding and we walk into the light. There's such a deep pattern of hiding and pretending that you and I fall into. And John is calling them and us out of it, saying, come into the light because the darkness is deadly. Friends, in a real way, this is an invitation. If, if you are hiding something, if you have fallen into a pattern of, of sin, no matter what it is, and, and you're hiding it, and you're pretending like it wasn't there, or like it wasn't a, a very big deal, and you're trying to keep it noticed, John is saying, today, confess that sin to God on another believer. He's not just saying, hey, there's light and there's darkness. This is a call. There is light and there is darkness. And if you're beginning to tap your toes in darkness, brother, walk back into the light. There's a real invitation here. Stop walking in darkness. Stop living a lie. And no matter how bad what you think you've done is, Jesus can cover it. Confess it and bring it to the light and watch Jesus be faithful. Seriously, maybe today is the day. I, I, I don't think that we're naive to think that we're all walking in complete transparency and complete light. Maybe the Holy Spirit would convict you and is pulling on you. And the, the word for that or, or the urging that I would plead with you is please don't ignore that. Walk into the light. Don't hide and keep sin. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his words are not in us. So while some people claim that, hey, no, 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 it's cool. I can sin and me and God are completely unaffected. Another group is just going, no, 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 I just don't ever sin. Never? No, never, never, ever. And John just confronts this. We don't even have to walk into it that, that long. He says, no, that's not right. When someone says, I've never sinned or I don't sin or sin isn't a struggle, they're, they're pretending that they don't have a sin nature and that sin doesn't pull on them anymore. There is a fountainhead of grace to those who turn to Christ and put their faith in him for the problem of sin, but there is no grace for people who pretend that they don't have any sin. The only perfect person was Jesus. No one ever will be or can be like him. There is an element here that when we pretend to be sinless, we are competing for the place of Christ. Go, no, no, I could do what you did. John has no patience for that. They're liars, and they do not know God. Be careful when our hearts believe that we can't sin or we're past sin or just never could possibly struggle with it anymore. Because until we get to glory, sin is always there. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, one more time. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. This is the hard part. For every person who brazenly tries to claim that they can sin and they're fine, that their relationship with God is no big deal. For every person that there is one of those, there's also a person who doesn't walk in sin. They just kind of slipped into some sin. And because they've slipped into it, they're terrified that God hates them. That there's no longer a sacrifice, that they are kicked out, that they are excommunicated. These verses are to give that person a sense of peace and grace and mercy. But the deeper problem so often, and what's hard at times, the person who needs to hear this part generally won't. And the person who needs to hear the other part, they'll generally latch on to this. And I pray that that doesn't happen. There's a differentiation that we have to understand. Walking in sin and sinning. They're not the same. So much trouble comes for us when we cannot separate the two of these because the Bible very clearly does separate the two of these. To walk in sin is, again, uh, to, to habitually do something. It is to make a certain sin your thing, to be fine with it, to practice it, to say, I don't care what God says, or to reinvent what God says so you can do what you want and not stop. To sin or slip into sin is not a regular thing. It's not your way of life. It's a mistake. While John said earlier that walking in sin is a huge issue that God will not overlook, he is saying now, believer, don't be scared, though, when you slip into sin and think that all is lost. John still isn't pretending that sin isn't a big deal. He's just reminding us when we slip up, when we fall, when we mess up, when we disappoint ourselves, when we know it's wrong and we did it anyway that one day. He's saying you still have an advocate in Jesus Christ. That's why he came. We have a savior who's already paid for that sin when we commit it. And and when we do commit it, when when they're talking about an advocate here, Jesus turns to the father and said, I paid for that one too, they're clean. And the father's not mad about it, like, oh, I could have got them. He's like, yes, you did. They're a trophy of grace, they're good. John uses a big word here again. Jesus is not just our advocate, he is our propitiation, which is to say, through Jesus, through redemption, through his grace, when we accidentally fall into sin, or or we fall short, and we do something that is sinful, Jesus turned the wrath due to us into into favor and blessing. Propitiation is a weird word, but it's a beautiful word. We deserve wrath for stepping our toes back in sin, and because of Jesus, we don't get that wrath. We get favor instead. The blessing and the favor that is Christ, he pours upon us. So we don't have to worry if that one sin that we did cancels out our our, our sonship and the family of God. There are some here and now back then with sensitive consciousness who struggle to rest in God's love. And John is speaking to you here. 
saying, son or daughter, don't worry, do not fall into shame. Instead, know that you have an advocate. Jesus doesn't walk away from you when you sin. He draws near to you to advocate for you and walk with you. When sin causes you to stumble, when it's not the way you walk and it's just something that you messed up in, the message here is stand up and walk in the light. See that Jesus' hand is extended to you and says, get up, let's go. Not get away from me. It's the call, repent and believe. There's still mercy for you. The fountainhead of grace isn't closed off because of that one thing. John, I believe, answers the next question in the sensitive conscious mind's person, or in the sensitive conscious person's mind by saying, hey, if you're wondering how to really know if you know God, right? Because the sensitive person's conscious, you're like, there's still grace in the back of their mind. They'll go, but how do you know that? And John would go, okay, well, here's the way. Are you walking in light? Are you trying to keep the, the commands? Even though you slipped up, are you trying to follow the commands of God and follow Jesus? Is that the regular pattern for you is obedience and following? And if the answer is yes, then you know that you're his. One slip up doesn't mean that you don't follow. Walking in sin means that you're just going the other direction. Conversely, if you say that you are in Christ, that I know him and I'm in fellowship with him while you ignore what he has commanded, you're a liar again, it says. Friends, we need help. We believe that every command is legalism. And it's not. There is no way to walk in disobedience to what God has said and walk with him. That's not legalism. That is protection. That goes for any kind of sin. Christians have a bad rap probably on purpose because they look at certain sins and say, that's the one that you can't do. No, all darkness you can't do. The entire Bible says don't walk in darkness, not don't walk in certain types of darkness. We're really good at pointing to other people and going, look at them to ignore the way that we walk in darkness. John is saying, please be careful. The call is the same. Walk away from the sin, confess it, and walk back into the light. Why does it say so much about confession and walking into the light because we hide things that we're ashamed of and we know we shouldn't do. And when they're out there, our community and our father and our savior can help us deal with them. We're not playing the game of confession that if I say it out loud, it's no longer an issue. It's when I say it out loud, I can ask other people and God to help me get past it. We have to remember salvation isn't a get out of jail free card. It's fundamentally a call to follow Christ, to walk as he walked, not to walk as you desire, not to walk in your preferences and not to walk in, here's the other thing, our natural indifference or the laziness that a pandemic has brought upon us. But to follow Jesus on the path of the cross, which is a path of dying to self. Our world screams, fight for yourself to find joy. And Jesus whispers, lay down yourself and that's where you'll find joy. The call to light and darkness is just a call to go, hey, how, how will you live out of that statement? One of my worries for us church is that we have spent so much time in the pandemic trying to adapt. 
This is pain we've never gone through. Trying to cope, trying to just be okay and get through the unthinkable that we've become so lax with paying attention to our actions and our hearts out of our adaption and our coping. And basically that maybe we have begun to hoard and hide just a plethora of little sins, of little distractions, trying to find comfort wherever we can. Again, that's where the coping part comes. Uh, I think a lot of believers who've got into this, they didn't mean to walk into it. They're just trying to be okay. And they, they turn to all these things just to try and appease them. And all of a sudden, there's a whole lot more darkness around them. And then maybe we, we live it out quite a bit longer than we should, hiding behind the excuse, I'm just trying to get by. Or this one, does your heart ever whisper this to you? I deserve this. Do you know how hard it's been lately? Or, or maybe the same line I, I, I use every winter when I, when, I, when I need to lose my hibernation weight, that I'll fix this later. Dude, it's been so hard, I'll fix it later. I'll fix it when things get back to normal. Man, if that's you, if you sit here knowing that some things just aren't quite right, knowing that your actions and, and your thoughts and your attitudes have, have just maybe just kind of gotten away from you, knowing that maybe you've romanced sin a little bit too long and now all of a sudden you're tapping your toes into it and you can't quite get your foot out. Today we hear the call of Christ, stand up, brother and sister, and walk into the light. Ask Christ for help and walk back to him instead of out into your own. Knowing that when you do, there's a safe place and an advocate there who is ready and willing to comfort you. The brutal part about believers turning to sin in a time of suffering, in a time of this pandemic, is we normally do it just trying to find little glimmers of hope and glimmers of escape, because that's what our idols and sins do. There's just going to be a little happiness there, and we do it just going, I, I just need just a little bit of relief, and then what happens is sin does what sin does. It steals the little bit of happiness that we had leaving you more empty than where you started. The, the call to come into the light is not trying to take more from you. It's trying to give you back the joy of your salvation. The beautiful news for us, church, is suffering is, I texted this to the elders, suffering is good ground for renewal. Suffering, difficulty, it's good ground for God to awaken you and do something brand new and beautiful in you. Suffering, even if it led you out into stepping into some sin for a time, is a great time to repent and turn back to the transformative power and mercy and strength of your Savior. One key thing that I pray for us right now is that we'll see the pandemic, as, a, as another pastor said, and I really appreciate it, as a bridge into the new world. There's this moment, we're on this bridge where we have to decide how will we live and how will we function in this new world, this post-pandemic world that's gonna look a lot different than the old world that we lived in. There's a circuit breaker that's been reset and it pulls us up really into an intersection where we can have a choice. Do I decide to turn left, lean into self, lean into gratification, lead into distraction, lead into just trying to cope, or do I turn hard right 
into God, into fellowship, and into community. And in that, do I turn to the deeper joy of the joy of grace? My hope is that we would turn towards fellowship. If we are to do that, and you're going, no, 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 I I can sense the different moments where my heart has got closer and further away from God. I can sense the moments where, where, where I've kind of tapped my toes into to darkness, and I want to do that. I want, I want to turn towards fellowship. I want to turn towards God. If you would say, yes, that's, that's what I want, then, then hear this. There's likely some things that the Holy Spirit will ask you to leave behind, though. Some things that he will ask you to repent from. Some lesser things that he'll ask you to set down in order to advance closer to the ultimate thing, which is fellowship and union with him. My hope and my deep ask is if you sense the Holy Spirit just prodding some issues that have already been in your mind and heart in, in, in this week or the last couple of weeks about some things that you're, you're stepping into, would you hear that as kind love? Whether all of a sudden you found this new love of money because the world has been thrown crazy. Maybe all of a sudden there's this low level anger that just resonates there in your heart. Maybe you're finding yourself as many, many Christians are drinking way too much. Maybe your sexual desire all of a sudden has, has taken a hard turn. Maybe lying or, or your eye or pornography or envy or selfishness has taken root no matter what it is. If the Spirit is showing you that today and asking you to walk to Jesus in the light, my prayer is that you would lay it down. The light has come and invites you to walk in it. What will you do? Let's... John's simple words, we try and dance around the issue and say things aren't sinful so we can walk in it or just keep the issue and say Jesus doesn't mind and the call from John is simply please don't do that. Lay down all the things that would hinder your fellowship with him and find joy and mercy and peace back with the Father. My prayer is that we would. We'd also understand that repentance isn't a one-time thing, it's a life thing. For those of you who are participating in a Lent, many of the things that you are laying down, like you get that that's low-level repentance, right? It's saying, hey, these have taken bigger spots in my heart than they should. And I hope that you found life there. I pray that we would all find life through repentance. Here you can come up. We'll take communion today. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way also. He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, I pray that all who believe in Christ would be able to come to the table and know that there's still a sacrifice, that you would hear the Lord drawing you to light and understand the merciful uh, goodness that was given towards you. But here in just the most pastoral shepherding way I can say, if you are walking in sin, or if there's sin that you've, slept, or that you've slipped into and you're just not willing to give it up now, 
this probably wouldn't be a great time to come to the table. Because at the table, you find a fountainhead of grace saying there's still mercy, there's still a sacrifice. But it is to mock Christ by saying, no, 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 I'll take that mercy, but I'm gonna keep the darkness while I do it. I pray that you would come and find grace and mercy, but that you would also have wisdom if this is just not a good time for you to take. And if the Holy Spirit is drawing you towards repentance and you say no, the clear answer is that's not a good time for you to take. Friends, I hope that we understand the beauty of repentance. Repentance is a call closer to God and it's a gift. I pray that we would find it. Will you stand with me? God, I thank you for today. I pray that you help just clear up any mess that I've created. Holy Spirit, will you have we have the floor, we have the room. I pray that you begin just to speak to our minds, that our weeks and our habits and our patterns and our rituals, that you would just have the ability to speak into those and our ears would hear the ways that maybe, just maybe, you would be calling us to turn back. I pray as you do, we'd be sensitive to that that we wouldn't fight it, that we wouldn't be angry, but that we would understand a call to repent is a call back to mercy and goodness. Father, work in your church. I pray that you make confession and repentance regular. Not in a way that we're numbed out by our actions so we just don't care, but the pattern that we together walk closer to the light who is you and we see you as better. May we lovingly learn in a new way to call each other towards the light. I pray for that. Lord, for every way that we have stepped into darkness, that we have entertained sin too much, I pray that you restore us. Restore our fellowship with you. Restore our relationship with others. I pray that you do a mighty work. In the tension even between your people. Lord, heal us. Let us walk in the light together. Jesus, I pray that you're glorified. That our affections would be turned for you. That we would see you as good and gracious and kind. We pray that in your name.